Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Three weeks ago, I uh, taught on Wednesday night on uh, five easy steps to backsliding, how not to take them, and only got to four steps. And I kind of hurriedly went through the fourth step. And so I want to go back tonight and, and uh, go over that again. We talked about the fact that uh, backsliding is a problem. Amen. And, and how many of you know somebody that has backslidden? Yeah, everybody knows somebody that's backslidden. And um, like I said three weeks ago, usually when we talk about backsliding, we usually think about it in its ultimate sense. We think about someone who is quote-unquote backslid in. In other words, they, they used to uh, know God, were on fire for God, uh, growing in the things of God, you know, just love God and, and making great uh, uh, gains spiritually, going to church, reading their Bible, just on fire for God. And then today, uh, they're not living for God. They don't go to church. There's not any uh, fruit in their life uh, of, of salvation and, uh, you know, they just kind of turned their back on the things of God. We consider that pers- person backslidden. But what we talked about with, was that backslidden, backsliding doesn't occur overnight. Amen. It's something that happens a little at a time. And uh, the person who is in the process of backsliding, uh, they're not at, in the initial stages. They're usually not even aware of it. Now, if you are, if you are, less on fire for God now than you have been in some time in the past. If you're less passionate about the things of God, if you are uh, not in as close a fellowship with the Lord now as you were before, you're in the process of backsliding. Amen. That's the truth. To backslide is simply to, to, to slide back. And we should be going forward. We should be growing closer to the Lord. We should be uh, growing and becoming more mature and and knowledgeable in the things of God. And so uh, uh, backsliding is something we have to always be on guard against because uh, the enemy is constantly trying to separate us from God. The enemy's constantly trying to pull us back. Go with me over to 1 Peter chapter uh, 3. 1 Peter the third chapter. Hallelujah. Excuse me, the fifth chapter. First Peter chapter five. If you start in verse number six, it says, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. If you, if you read verses 5 and 6, if you, if you read those two verses, they're very positive. They're very uplifting. Uh, they're talking about 
being under the mighty hand of God, that God has his mighty hand upon you and that we need to humble ourselves under his mighty hand and that he will exalt us if we'll do that and uh, as we cast all our cares upon him. So, so the, the thought in these two verses is, is an encouraging thought. It's a thought of, of progress and it's an exhortation but there's not any, there's not any suggestion that it's not working. There's, there's nothing negative in this verse. He's not scolding anybody or warning anybody. He's, he's uh, exhorting us and encouraging us. And then right in the next verse, you would think if we would, if we would heed these two verses, everything would be hunky-dory. Everything would be wonderful. But right after that, right after saying what God will do, that if we'll cast all our care upon him, he cares for us, he'll take care of us. Then right after that, he says, now be sober and be vigilant. That just means to be uh, uh, watchful, to be careful. He said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. See, even if you are uh, casting all your care upon the Lord and he cares for you, and, and though you are humbling yourself in the sight of God and he is promoting you, in other words, the blessing of God is on your life, that still doesn't mean that you don't have to be on the lookout. He said, be sober, be vigilant. I like to say it this way, get your head screwed on right. Start thinking correctly according to the Bible and know that your enemy, the devil, your adversary, walks about like a roaring lion, he, he's not a roaring lion, he just walks about like one. He, he's not saying he resembles a lion in his persona. He's not, he's not lion-like except that he walks about like a lion. Okay? In other words, a lion is always on the prowl. So he's not saying the devil is strong like a lion. He's not saying that he's menacing like a lion. He's not saying he'll eat you like a lion. He's not saying he's ferocious like a lion. He's just saying like a lion is on the prowl. You get that? He's on the prowl. He's always looking for an opportunity. He said, so he said, uh, uh, be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Resist him. You know, if you will get in the habit, as soon as anything of the enemy comes up in your life, if you'll just say those three words, I resist you. Just say it right out loud to the devil. Say four words. Say, devil, I resist you. I resist that. Whatever the attack is. If it's, if it's a symptom of illness, if it's a, 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 a bad thought, a negative thought, a condemning thought, a thought of failure, if it's anything that discourages you, if it's a, an opportunity to be offended by someone, you know, or with someone, just say, I resist that. If we would nip things in the bud, so to speak, we'd be a whole lot better off. But most of the time, Christians wait because they don't really catch it right on they don't the, the the devil plays with them for a while and gets them going down a road towards backside before they even wake up and say wait a minute something's not right here amen so we need to be on guard we need to know that the enemy is always 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 he doesn't have anything else to do he walks about constantly on the prowl 
constantly looking for some opportunity in your life. Not, not just other people's lives, your life. Think about yourself here. Point to yourself and say, he's looking for an opportunity in my life. You say, well, you're confessing negative things. No, the Bible tells this is the truth. He is seeking an opportunity every day in my life. Pastor Edwin Anderson, the devil is constantly on the prowl looking for an opportunity, looking for an opening in my life. He's constantly on the prowl for me and you. But the good thing is all we have to do is resist him. Just resist him. If we resist him, he can't do it. We don't, we don't have to uh, feel strong. We don't have to uh, feel like we're super spiritual. Just resist him. He said, resist him steadfast. That means you have to stay with it. Resist him, knowing that the same sufferings or the same trial or temptations are, are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. All Christians deal with the same thing. The enemy is always trying to get us to cool down back off, slack off, and backslide. See, the devil's trying to get you to backslide, Pastor? Sure. He's all the, all the time trying to get me to back up, not be as on fire as I ought to be. Amen. So we talked about the fact that uh, the, the, the person who is ultimately completely backslid uh, didn't start out that way. He didn't intend to backslide. It happened gradually. At first, he, he's probably not even aware of it. Usually, other people become aware that someone is backsliding even before they do. If you've walked with the Lord long enough and you have disciplined yourself to, when you come into church, to actually be open to the preaching instead of just sitting here listening, amen, amen. You know, and, and a lot of people sit in church and they'll nod and they'll say amen. They will not do what's they're, what they're hearing. But they'll agree with it. They'll agree with it and say amen and, and everybody's quiet now. They'll, they'll, they'll say amen, that's right, and absolutely will not do it. But if you've disciplined yourself when you come to church and you hear preaching and you hear the pastor or some other minister say something that, that uh, actually identifies you, if you've disciplined yourself to be open, a lot of times you can catch yourself that way and, the, and you'll realize, preacher's talking about me. <laughs> Amen. And, and then make that correction. The backslider doesn't do that though. He doesn't make that correction. And um, uh, it's a, like I said, it's a process. He didn't intend to be completely backslidden. He didn't, when he first started backsliding, his intention was not to turn his back on God and, and just leave the things of God. But over the process of time, he got to a place where he felt condemned because he wasn't measuring up and he finally just gave up. Well, we don't have to get to that place. Nobody has to come to that place in, the, in their walk with God. We can be forewarned and like this verse says, be sober and vigilant so that we resist him as soon as it comes. Soon as uh, he tries to make a play for you. The biggest thing in the Christian life is really being alert and recognizing when the devil attacks. Because like I said, most of the time Christians don't recognize his attack right at first. It's until he kind of gets a hold of them a little bit. And then maybe their spouse corrects them and says, what's wrong with you? Amen. You ever had your spouse do that? No, never have had you. I don't, I don't guess you have, Dan. Praise the Lord. So we talked about uh, four steps last week. 
uh, of backsliding. Was anybody, does anybody remember what they were? What was the first one? Leaving your first love. In other words, we need to maintain, to maintain a tender heart toward God to where we are uh, always in love with God. Don't let your Christian life become uh, cold and, and uh, uh, academic, so to speaking, where you're just reading your Bible because you have to and coming to church because you have to. Spend time in, in worshiping the Lord and so that you stay in a place where your heart is glad in the Lord, that you appreciate. One of the best things you can do is to very often remind yourself of his blessings, how he has redeemed your life, where you came from, and what he's brought you into. And you may, the enemy is always there to, say, to tell you how far you have to go and how much you failed and how much you're not reaching. But you need to put all that aside and thank God for what he has done in your life what he's done in your family, what he means to you, how he rescued you from a life of, of sin and a life of, of destruction and build yourself up in those things. Thank God, praise God. Keep your heart tender toward God. Amen. So the first step of backsliding is uh, leaving your first love, growing cold toward the Lord. The second one, does anybody remember what that was? Losing your love for the word of God. Uh, we need to have, have a discipline in our life where we are continually feeding on the word of God. The, sometimes Christians complain that the Bible is boring to them, that the Bible just seems uninteresting and they don't get anything out of it. That's because if you feel like that, it's because you haven't been feeding on it. Amen. If you, will, if you will stay in the word of God and feed on it regularly and feed on it deeply and meditate on it and actually build your life on it, putting all the things into, into motion that we talk about around here, believing the word of God and speaking the word of God and acting on the word of God. When the word of God is your daily uh, uh, operation. You're, you're constantly operating, if you can use that word. You're constantly moving in the word, thinking about the word, uh, uh, judging by the word, speaking the word of God, thanking God for his promises and, and whatever it is that you're uh, praying about. You're using the word in your prayer. If you do that on a regular basis, the word will stay fresh. It will be alive in you. It will be exciting to you. And you'll be drawing from, uh, from it and getting revelation on an ongoing basis. It's when we estrange ourselves. It's when we, when we take that second step of backsliding and we don't do that. When we don't look at the Bible like we should. We just maybe read it when we're in church. Amen. Some people, that's the only time they ever read their Bible is in church. That's, that's a cold Christian. Amen. That's a, not a victorious Christian. No, uh, if, if what happens is people drift in that area. They neglect, they leave off the, the reading of the word of God. Probably everyone in our church, not just here tonight, but probably everybody in our church at some point in their Christian life 
the word was alive to them. There was a point at some point where the word was exciting. They got stuff from it. It was, it was alive. It was revelation. And, and it was easy to read the word. I guarantee you there's, there are people in our church now that were like that at one time. They're not like that now. How did that happen? They neglected the word of God. They, uh, for whatever reason, they, they allowed life to overcome them and they didn't discipline themselves to stay in the word of God and to stay in fellowship. All these things are, are related. If you love God, if you're, if you're excited about what he's done for you, if you're appreciative, if you're stirring that love up on the inside and you're, and, and you're feeling the love of God and it's, 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 just, it's just overwhelming you, it's just automatic to feed on the word of God because you immediately start thinking about the promises. You start thinking about what he said and his word and what belongs to you and that, and that just love causes you to feed more on the word of God. When you neglect one thing, you begin to ne neglect another thing. And so it's a, it's a cascading effect where, where we cascade down and, and lose ground with God. And, and, and if you don't stop yourself, you will backslide. We, we talked about idolatry. And uh, most of the time when people think of idolatry, they think of an Old Testament problem because in the Old Testament, the, the uh, Israelites, they were constantly falling into idolatry. And for them, idolatry was actually worshiping some kind of an image. You know, the, the, the image of a false god or a false deity, a god of the Amorites or a god of the Philistines or a god of, uh, of the Hittites or something, you know, one of the nations around them, they would begin to worship these idols because the nations all around them had idols. They had wooden idols and stone idols and, and uh, other, uh, you know, people worship piles of stone. I mean, they'd worship all kinds of things. I'm not kidding. They just worship, they, their idolatry is, is a staple in paganism. And so these pagan religions all around them, they had their idols. Well, when the children of Israel lost their love for the Lord, stopped feeding on the Bible, on the, on the Old Testament, on the, on the uh, commandments of Moses and, and walking in those things, guess what the next thing happened? They find themselves worshiping idols. Well, when we, at the New Testament era, you know, we don't, we don't do that. Now, you, I know that people sometimes think that Catholics worship idols, you know, because they, you know, they pray to Mary or bow to, you know, some kind of an altar or something. Uh, it's, they're really not worshiping an idol in the sense of an Old Testament uh, way of thinking that that idol, you know, is God. They're, they're mistaken, you know, because Mary, Mary's not listening to their prayers, you know. And, uh, and so the religion has taken them over. And so sometimes we think of that being idolatry. But in the New Testament, when uh, the apostle John in the, in the uh, fifth chapter of 1 John, when he said, little children, flee idolatry. And when uh, we read from Colossians, I think in the third chapter, he's listing all these unclean things, you know, that we're supposed to be, be up staying away from. And he said, idolatry, which is covetousness. In the New Testament era, in the, in the first uh, uh, century of the New Testament, there were, there were uh, pagan religions and cultures around them in the Greek world where they did... Uh, Worship false gods. 
Christians came out of that. They were delivered from that, filled with the Holy Spirit. And actually setting up an image, like in an Old Testament sense, that really wasn't a problem with the early Christians. They didn't really do that. They didn't set up images in their house. The, the uh, praying to Mary and worshiping of, of Mary and those things, that really wasn't an issue in the church in the first century. Uh, they, the, the Gnostics did have a, a worship of angels that was going on, but that's really not even what he was talking about. When he said, uh, do not uh, uh, get drawn into idolatry, he said idolatry is covenantous. When you start seeking after things, you don't have to set them up on a, put an altar in your home like candles, you know, and turn the lights down and have, you know, this kind of a, a weird religious thing. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about putting things ahead of God. When the things of this world become more important to you than the things of God, that's what he said was idolatry, covetousness, desiring other things. And so, and so idolatry is still a big problem. We talked about three weeks ago, you know, some of the ways that, that people get caught up in idolatry. You know, they worship their careers, their jobs. Some people, it's their education, whatever it is in life that they're, that they're pursuing that uh, is so important to them that even though they claim to be a Christian and, and no doubt are a Christian, are saved, but they're really more interested in the things of this world, maybe their job or their, or their house or their uh, other possessions they might have or other pursuits in life. With men, it can be sports. It can be, uh, you know, outside things. With women, it can be style. It can be clothing. It, it can be your own family can become something that you worship. You can, you can get into idolatry when you put your family ahead of God. Now, of course, the Bible teaches that we're supposed to, to love our families and, and the Bible teaches that, you know, that we're supposed to be family people and devoted to family. But like I said three weeks ago, my, I love my wife and I put her first over everybody else except the Lord. She knows that God is first in my life. She knows the Lord Jesus is first in my life. She knows I love him more than I love her. And I know the same thing about her. God has to come first. But you see, when you have an equally yoked believer, you have a husband and wife who are both born again, both spirit-filled, both serving God, uh, on fire for God, that's not a problem. When our children were small, you know, as, as a, a, a young family, we went into the ministry, uh, Steve was in the fifth grade, fourth grade, when we started here? Fifth grade when we started in the ministry here. Greg was first grade. And uh, as a family, now I know that, that you, your family may not be in ministry like, like I was, but there's still an application. As a family, we were in the ministry. My little boys, uh, in, in, in the limited way they could, they could relate to it, they, can, they knew that the Anderson household, the Anderson family, we were in the ministry. And so they knew that God was first. And there were times when I had to put God ahead of my wife or ahead of the interest, 
interest of my family in order to, uh, to do some. For instance, you know, I want to be with my boys, but if I get a phone call and somebody's had been in a terrible accident in the hospital, well, I'm sorry, I can't make your ball game. I have something I have to attend to. They understood that. And because they understood that, my, my two sons didn't grow up resenting the ministry. I know a lot of preachers and the reason their children haven't turned out right is because the preachers constantly uh, complained about the church, complained about people, and they did not serve the Lord with gladness. And the children picked up on that, that, the, that, that ministry and the needs of the church were bondage. I thank God my sons never got that attitude. They never, they never developed that. They were always willing to, to do. And they made sacrifices as little kids for the sake of the minister. But we did it as a family. But when you're unequally yoked, when you have someone and if, you, if you're married to someone that's not a Christian, you've got a real problem because they want to be number one and God must be number one and that's, that's, a, that's a real challenge that's why the apostle Paul said don't do it do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers don't do it and, and I know that people think that they're smarter than God and that their situation's different and that they're an exception and everything's going to turn out okay for them because they're different they've got a handle of this it's not going to turn out different it's going to turn out exactly the same. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be problems. Uh, there's going to be compromise. If, if you, and I don't know who I'm talking to today, but if you marry someone who is not saved or if you are a spirit-filled believer and, and on fire for God and you marry someone who, though they say they're saved, they're not, they don't really believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They don't believe in speaking well the tongues. They're going to fight you. And you are going to eventually sacrifice some fellowship with the Lord over that. It's going to interfere with your fellowship with God. Don't do it. That's all I'm saying. Don't do it. I don't know that it applies to anybody. Maybe you know somebody. Don't do it. And so we talked about how family can be an idol, job can be an idol, possession can be an idol. Uh, anything that, that you love in this life the Apostle Paul said the love, if you love this world, the love of this world is not of God. Amen. And so we need to be careful about that, those things. And then we talked about uh, the, the uh, step of backsliding where you begin to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. A lot of times that's the first time that some people will notice something's wrong. Such and such a person's been coming to church for years and all of a sudden, they're just, they just don't come to church as much anymore. Well, usually these other three things have already started happening. They've, they've cooled off in their relationship with the Lord. They don't love God. They might say they do. You know, you, we, you do know that people lie to themselves, right? People, people will, will, sometimes people are very uh, unwilling to believe the truth about themselves and they convince themselves that they are one way when they know they're not. And so people will say, oh yeah, I love God. I'm sure I love God. Well, really? 
But people, they, they drift in their love for God. They, they uh, sacrifice their time in the word of God. It's no longer important to them, so they're not feeding on the word of God anymore. They begin to get caught up with things of this life, the cares of this, li this life, deceitfulness of riches, lust for other things. Jesus said, enter in. What does it do? It chokes out the word of God. The next thing that happens, church is just not the priority it used to be. And... You know, and I, you say, well, your household was different. You were the preacher. You had to be there. But we were this way before I was in the ministry. We were, as soon as I got back into fellowship with the Lord, I, as soon as I started going to church, I didn't start going to church for the first few months because I was still kind of, um, had some crazy thinking going on in my head. But within a few months, I realized I've got to go to church if I'm going to grow in the Lord. But as soon as I started going to church, I mean, it was Katie bar the door. That's where I'm going to be. I'm going to be in church. And so Ansel wasn't going to church. You know the story. You know, I would get Steve up. We didn't have Greg at the time. You know, I'd get Steve up. And how old was he? About three, two. two. When I first started going, I guess he was. Yeah, two and a half. You know, I'd, I'd say, well, you know, I'm taking Steve and I'm going to church. And I'd get him up on Sunday and I'd get him dressed and the two of us would go, you know. And uh, we just, that's just always the way I've been. And, uh, and at the time, I, was, I didn't think I was called to the ministry. I mean, I wasn't really, uh, you know, operating out of, that, out of that kind of concept. And as soon as Angela got back in the fellowship of the Lord, she started going. I mean, we're there all the time. And I know some people think that, that it's legalistic, but it isn't. It is not legalistic to make the church your primary uh, focus as far as your, as your social life and your family life, it needs to be built around church. And the church, the church needs to be the center of what you do. You're, and I know you have to work every day. You think, well, now my work is, my life is built around my work. I work, you know, 10 hours a day. But you're only working for the means, as a means to the end, so that you can be involved in the things of God. Isn't that right? And so the church was the nucleus in the center of our family life. And it was that way growing up. It was that way when Angela and I began to serve God. And if you'll keep the, these other things in their proper place, if you'll stay in love with the Lord, stay full of the word, keep your, yourself uh, checked you know, against falling after uh, things more than you should, you're going to be focused on going to church. You know, uh, Dan was saying that, that uh, Annette's relatives said, what is wrong with you? You go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, you're back on Monday night and Wednesday night. What in the world? People in the world, they can't, they can't understand that. And, you know, why do you do that? And a lot of times in, in, in the past, you know, we've, we don't know how to explain it because it doesn't make sense. And so we say, well, I just enjoy going. I enjoy going to church. I get something out of it. That just draws a complete blank to the non-church. That's just like saying, I, I really get something out of sitting in front of a, a, a traffic light. I just really enjoy it. It just blesses me. I just, what, what would that sound like to you? What? Oh, yeah, I just enjoy sitting in front of traffic lights. I just go down at night when there's nobody there and I just sit. When you tell people you enjoy going to church and you get something, the non-church, it's the reaction they get. They might not laugh in your face, but they're thinking, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And sometimes they tell you they think you're crazy. 
Or you might say, well, it's because when we, get, when we come to church, it's exhilarating, it's uplifting. We have wonderful times of fellowship in the Lord. The Spirit of God blesses us and we go out refreshed. Sometimes we'll tell people it's refreshing to go to church or it's fun to go to church. That really puts them in the tilt mode. Because to them, going to church is like, you know, taking nails, you know, uh, needles under their fingernails. I mean, they, the idea of having to go to church is a torturous idea. The real reason why we enjoy going to church and why we go to church is that there's a constant drawing on the inside. The Spirit of God is always drawing us to come and assemble together in His presence, to be corporately where He can manifest Himself among us, where the Word that we love is taught and expounded on, and, and we just get to worship the Lord together and sing. It's, there's something that, that just draws you and if you've ever noticed, if you've been on vacation and you have, you know, if you've been gone for a week or so and you're out, out of church, I guarantee you when church time comes and you're back in town and, and it's time to go to church, there's an excitement. Oh, I get to go to church. Oh, glory to God. What is that? That's that draw of the Holy Spirit. It's that that he, he, he draws us together. Well, if you maintain these other things, you'll maintain that sense. If you'll stay in love with the Lord, if you'll keep reminding yourself of his blessings and, and rejoicing in those blessings and thanking God and spending time in the word and, 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 and keeping God first in everything, it, the most automatic thing in the world is for you to go to church. Amen. But when those other things start slipping, then church attendance starts slipping and that's when uh, people really begin to fall away quickly. Because you get out of this atmosphere. And, and we all know that spiritual things uh, are usually a whole lot easier to experience when we're in the company of other believers. It's easier to sense God's presence. It's easier to, to pray. It's easier to worship. You get out of that, then all those things that you've already compromised in then become really foreign to you. Tell you what. Staying out of church is a huge step. Amen? Well, then the last one I want to talk about is uh, being offended. This is another step, and it's not really in this progression because uh, uh, I'll, come with, I'll come up with it later. But uh, in my teaching, it's, it's at the end. But being offended is something that can, that can happen anywhere in this process. In between step one and two, two and three, three and four, I mean, offend, offense can pop up at any time and it's a huge uh, component of backsliding. Go with me to uh, Hebrews, the second chapter. Hebrews chapter two. Oh, praise the Lord. Therefore, verse 1 says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. Well, what would be the things we've heard? The things on the news? The latest gossip? No, he's talking about the Bible, right? He's talking about the Word of God. Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Lest we drift away. I think the older King James said, let them slip. 
That's not really the best translation. It's not a matter of us letting the things of God slip so much as it is this, this, what this is, says literally is we must give the more uh, earnest heed to the things we have heard lest we flow by or flow past. And I think it's uh, Vincent, the uh, uh, commentator, he said, lest we drift away. Lest we drift, well, that's what it says here. Let, lest we drift away. He said something else like that. If we're not careful to give heed to the things we hear, like what you're hearing tonight, if, you don't, if you're not careful to give heed to it, you can, you can drift away from it. How many of you are aware that there have been times in your life when you've, there's been certain spiritual truths and realities in your life that you were just anchored to? And then sometime later, they don't, those, those same things don't have the same hold. You don't have the same hold of them, I should say. Anybody ever experienced that before? Sure. What's happened? We drift away. He said we need to give the more earnest heed. That means we need to be diligent and give not just earnest heed but even more earnest heed to the things we've heard lest we drift away. Notice it doesn't say lest we walk away. It doesn't say lest we turn away. It didn't say lest we run away. It says lest we drift away. There's not much... uh, of a chance that a believer who's on fire for God, loving God, feeding on the word, uh, uh, putting God first in his life uh, over all other things, you know, uh, just uh, coming to church all the time, there's not too great a chance that that Christian's just going to turn away from that. You, you don't ever hear of a Christian being in God's presence now, now, what I'm about to say, this will happen about, about human relationships, but not about God. You're never, a person's never worshiping the Lord. God, I just love you so much. You've been so good to me. Tears streaming down your face. God, you've been so good to me. I, you know, more than I've ever deserved. You've enriched my life. And I really have got to get away from you. Never happens. Now, that happens in human relationships. You can love somebody and know they're bad for you. Maybe, maybe this has not happened to anybody here, but you know what happens. You've heard people say, you know, I, I love him. I know he's bad for me. I know I've got to get away from him, but I just love him so much. See, that happens in human relationships. That never happens with God. You never hear anybody say, I just got to get away from God. I love him, but I just got to get away from him. No, <laughs> That's, that doesn't happen. So we don't turn away from him, but we can, by neglect, drift away. See the difference? He said, lest we drift away, for, the, for if the word spoken through angels proves, proves steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? See, it's a matter of neglect. When we begin to neglect things, we begin to drift away. Isn't that right? Now, the word neglect uh, has two different meanings. 
according to the dictionary. And there's one kind of neglect, which is to ignore or disregard. That's intentional neglect. And, and if you come to church and you don't like something that the preacher says, which, who would usually be me, uh, and you intentionally reject that, and don't think I don't, I don't know this happens. Sometimes it's so obvious. You can see it on people's faces. Sometimes people sit in church and I know they don't realize what they're doing. And they're making some of the awfulest faces. Doing like this when I preach and I d deal with something, you know, and, and I've had people, I did just like that. <laughs> I'm thinking, do you not see, do you not realize I have eyes? And I know they're not aware of it, you know. It's just kind of coming out unconsciously. And so that's an intentional uh, a rejection of something. That's one uh, use of the word neglect. Another one is to fail to care sufficiently or properly for. To not give proper attention to. This can be unintentional neglect. Like I said, many, many believe in giving attention to the things of God, but they don't actually do it. A few years ago, it was, I don't know, it was maybe four or five years ago, I don't remember how long, how, long, how long ago it was. One service, I asked, I said, how many of you, maybe you'll remember this, I said, I don't remember how long ago it was. I remember Ed, uh, Dr. Ed Chittum was still alive. And I said, how many of you in tonight, how many of you floss your teeth every day or almost every day of your life? And about half the church raised their hand, the other half, you know, just kind of looked sheepishly. And I said, what's wrong with the rest of you? Why don't you floss your teeth? You know you're supposed to. Doesn't everybody know you're supposed to floss your teeth? Why don't you do it? And uh, I did this at the Bible school a couple of weeks ago. And of course, it's a much smaller classroom. It's about as many as this right in here, you know, and maybe a little bit more than this. And, and they're all sitting together too, you know. And I said, how many of you floss? And about, you know, half of them raising the others. And I said, what's wrong with the rest of you? Why don't you floss your teeth? And they, they, they kind of look kind of, uh, this one particular girl, I, I, I remember looking at her, she's mad. Because I was pointing, listen, my point was not to criticize someone's dental hygiene, but the whole point was we know to do things, but knowing that to do it is not the same thing as doing it. After I did that a few years ago, I went, just a few weeks ago, I went to have my teeth cleaned. And Rachel Morgan, you know, she's the dental hygienist, and she's clean, and man, my gums are bleeding, you know. And she said, Pastor, do you floss your teeth? I said, No. She said, Pastor, she was so, she said, you just talked about that. You, you, I said, I never said I floss my teeth. <laughs> she said, oh, Pastor, she said, I was just so sure. Oh, my Pastor, he's such a good example. He flosses his teeth. I said, I, you know, I, I didn't say I did. You know, the younger people don't understand. People in our generation weren't raised to floss our teeth. I, I don't think I ever heard of flossing. Until I was an adult, I think it was in the 70s and I, and, and I went to the dentist one time and I saw a plaque on the wall and it said, you don't have to floss all your teeth, just the ones you want to keep. <laughs> and I remember, and, and, he, and I had just had this dental checkup and he said, you've got excellent teeth, your teeth are phenomenal. And I thought, doesn't apply to me. <laughs> I'm, I haven't, I've never flossed a day in my life and I've got good teeth. And, uh, and, and so anyway, I, I told uh, uh Rachel, I said, you didn't, you didn't ask, I didn't say I flossed. My whole point was we don't do what we know to do. And, you know, like I said, we weren't raised to floss. We were raised to brush our teeth. 
Everybody knows you have to because your teeth will get fuzzy <laughs> if you don't brush them, you know. They grow fuzz, you know. And so that's very nasty, and so you brush your teeth. But flossing doesn't have the, the same immediate you know, uh, consequence. But now after that, I started flossing my teeth. Okay, I did. Thank you. You can clap. Thank you. Uh, yeah, several years ago, I started flossing, not flushing my teeth, flossing my teeth. And so I was in there the other day and, and a couple of weeks ago, and I hadn't been to the dentist in two years, I think, and, and uh, uh, Rachel's cleaning my teeth again. Gums aren't bleeding. She said, you got very little plaque on your teeth. Everything's good, you know. So I'm, I've learned, you know, I've, I've grown up. But uh, my whole point is just because we know to do things doesn't mean we'll do it. And when it comes to the things of God, we have to give care to these things. Now, uh, you just need to know that the enemy is always wanting to separate you from God. He's always wanting to separate you from God, and he's also always wanting to separate you from other Christians. Amen. And so uh, this business of, of offense, go with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke 11, excuse me, 17. I was just looked at my notes wrong. Luke 17, verse number one. Luke 17, one. Then he said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they come. He said it's impossible that offense will not come to you. It's impossible. Offense is surely to come. You can't get away from it. Well, since we know offense is coming, why don't we maintain a vigilance against it? But we let our guard down. We, and, and everybody has things that happens, happens to them that offends it. It happens to everybody. You will feel the sting of offense. Somebody does something, says something, or you imagined or thought they did, or somebody told you that something happens, it happens to everybody. You'll feel the sting of offense. That's not being offended. It's what you do next. It's, it's how you react to that. That determines whether or not you become offended or not. Just to feel that, hmm, that's not right. <laughs> You, you, you haven't done anything wrong. It's like uh, when, when sickness comes against your body. I used to have headaches when I was, a, a, from the time I was, I don't know, early teens at least, probably a little younger than that. All of my life, I had headaches. Right on into adulthood, headaches. And I would, in, in my adult life, I would have, have headaches so bad some and this would happen two or three times a week my wife can tell you I'd have headaches so bad that my job when I worked for the telephone company uh, I had a job uh, I was I analyzed uh, circuits you know troubleshot uh, circuits you know circuit boards and stuff and you really had to focus and think and, and I would my head was hurt so bad sometimes that I couldn't I stayed on the job because I didn't want to get docked you know but I really wasn't accomplishing anything because I just couldn't hardly function. Had headaches all the time. I don't have headaches. One thing I found out was I wasn't getting enough sleep. 
because since I was a, a, a teenager, I stayed up all late hours at night. My mom would go to bed. She let me stay up, and I'd watch the night show and whatever on was on after that, you know, and then get up and go to school. And, uh, and so I, I developed a habit of not getting enough sleep. So when I started getting better sleep, sleep habits, you know, a lot of that went away. But now, when a headache comes to me, I mean, as soon as, as, soon as it comes, I said, no, you don't. You are not putting that headache on me. I am not taking that. And I mean, I, and, and I'll use those words, I resist a headache in the name of Jesus. I'm redeemed from that. I resist that. And, and with other things. And I haven't, had a, I haven't had a headache in years. I mean, I have not had a headache that came and stayed and just wore me down. That has not happened in years. It's usually a matter of a, a, a few minutes to an hour or, or less and I forget about it and then it's gone. I say, no, you don't. You're not putting that on me. That's what Brother Hagin was talking about when he said, I haven't had a headache in 60 years. He said, I've passed up some marvelous opportunities to have a headache. What that simply means is the headache came, but he didn't take it. And the same thing I do with that with headaches, I do that with other illnesses that, that just things in my body. Uh, you know, I... Physically, I didn't want to come to church tonight. I didn't feel good. I just didn't feel good. I, and, and, and I started getting myself together. And I said, you know what? I'm not putting up with that. I am not going to not feel good. I'm not yielding to that. I'm not, you know, it, it's awfully easy to just kind of nurse ourselves a little bit. You know, I don't really feel good. Maybe tell your spouse, oh, I just don't really feel good. Looking for some sympathy, you know. I really don't feel good. That's not helping you. And I just squared my shoulders and said, you know what? I'm not putting up with that. I'm not putting up with not feeling good. I don't have to not feel good. Amen. Uh, I'm redeemed from everything that would make me not feel good, so I'm not going to not feel good. Yeah. I'm going to feel good. <laughs> well, you have to do the same thing when offense comes. You have to recognize the enemy is trying to trip you up. And if you yield to that, and start nursing that, you become offended. And when you're offended, you open the door for deception. Offense is one of the biggest doorways to being deceived. Because once you get offended at somebody, go with me to uh, 1 Timothy show it to you. 1 Timothy 2, I think. Might be 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Yeah, 2 Timothy 2. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Huh? Verse 23. 2 Timothy 2, 23. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. You know, sometimes you just have to avoid some things and some people. Amen. Just don't get drawn into it. As a pastor, back when I was, you know, was, a, was a, uh, an official, you know, with, with uh, Raymond Ministerial Association, I was one of the regional directors. And, you know, in Florida, I had, you know, I don't know 100 and some, 140 members, you know, ministers in Florida. And sometimes, you know, ministers would call me looking for advice or something, or sometimes they'd call me just to, you know, just to gossip. And uh, 
tell me something that was going on, you know, about what somebody was doing. And I, had to, I learned I had to guard myself because I would start getting into these things, you know. That, and, and I remember there was this particular minister and, and uh, he was doing something that, that didn't seem right and, and everybody was excited about it. And, you know, and, and I was just foolish enough to get drawn into that and start talking about it, about how wrong it was. It really wasn't any of my business. It wasn't doing anything unscriptural. It was, just, it was just a practice that he had that I didn't agree with. And I started talking about it. The more I talked about it, the madder I got. And then I made the mistake of actually sharing that with other people. Somebody shared it with me, then I passed it on. You get in a really dangerous situation when you start doing that. It's better to just avoid it because if you're, if you're going to be if you're going to be spiritual and you're going to move on with God, many times he'll make you go back and apologize. I had to call that pastor. I had to say, you know what? When the, when the Lord dealt with me about it, I had to call him on the phone. Say, you know what, brother? I just want to apologize to you. I've criticized some things you were doing. You know, he was a big-hearted man. He said, oh, don't worry about it. You know, it, it's okay. You know, no problem. But, you know, you have to humble yourself to do that. It's better to avoid disputes. Because a lot of times they're ignorant. Foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel or strive. That's literally, that says strive. A servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance. Who? Grant who repentance? those who are in opposition, the person who is quarreling, who wants to quarrel, who wants to fight, who wants to be in strife with you. He said in humility, it's the, it's the pastor's responsibility sometimes to correct people. He said do it in humility. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. The older King James says, at his will. Both of those are good. When, when you submit to offense, you open the door to take you captive. Open the door to the devil to take you captive. He will captivate your mind. He will captivate your motivations and he'll begin to twist reality. And an offended person begins to process everything through the lens of that offense and it might not even be real doesn't matter if it's real doesn't matter if anybody really did anything wrong if they're offended they believe they do they start processing everything that happens through that you remember the story of years ago when when uh uh i like telling the story uh it's just funny but when when uh leslie and mark had the uh ice cream shop you know and, and amy was uh greg and amy had just been married you remember that story Greg, those of you that haven't heard it, Greg and Amy had only been married, I guess, less than a year, about five months. And uh, Mark and Leslie had opened that ice cream shop, and, and they were trying to get it open. And we were down there one night helping and, you know, cleaning the floors and just doing different things. And, and Amy was at this mop sink in the kitchen. And she had the mop down in the sink, and she's doing something. And I was in the kitchen, and I, and I passed behind her to go out of the kitchen to the dining area. And Greg came into the kitchen about the same time, and we passed behind her like this. I was going this way, going out. Greg was coming in. Well, 
you know, Greg, she's here. She's looking down, you know, the, at, the, at the mop sink. And when Greg walked by, he just reached over and pinched her on the butt and kept walking. Only thing, he pinched her on this side, which is the side I was on. <laughs> I'm going that way. He pinched her and he walked by and after he got a few steps back, he looked, now, and I didn't know any of this happened. I'm minding my own business. I walked past her, I went out and sat down in the dining area. And a few minutes later, Greg comes out and he's laughing. He just, ah, I just laughing. You won't believe what happened. I said, what? He said, when he turned around and looked at her, when, when he pinched her like that, of course it's on this side, gonna look this way. She's, she looked and there I go. And he said the expression on her face was like, oh my gosh, my father-in-law and my pastor just pinched my butt. <laughs> and he said the look on her face was like, I don't know what to do. You know what I mean? And he's, he's over there, he's watching this and just laughing. He didn't tell her. He comes out goes into the, into the dining room and he's laughing. He tells me about it. He said, oh, this is the funniest thing. I said, it is not funny. <laughs> you go right back in there right now and you tell her what happened. Because here, and here's the point. If he had not turned around and saw her reaction, nobody would know. Greg wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. But Amy would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I pinched her butt, <laughs> though I didn't. I mean, she could ask herself, did that really happen? And her mind would say, yeah, it happened. I felt it, and I saw him. See, in her mind, she has complete rationale that I've done something that I didn't do. And how long would, have that, how long would that have gone on? Knowing Amy, she wouldn't have said anything to me. She might not have said anything to Greg. I doubt she'd have said anything. How do you tell your husband that his father pitched my butt, you know? <laughs> I don't know what kind of problems that would have caused in our relationship because she could have thought, Man, what kind of family have I married into here? You know, and he's the pastor, at, at, you know, nonetheless. And, and so the point is, someone, sometimes people do things that you are absolutely sure they're guilty of. They're not. Yeah, but you have evidence. You might not have the whole story. I do. I know I have the whole story. And he would have thought so. The thing is, you cannot afford to be offended. It will wreck your life. And it's one of the, it's one of the things that causes people to backslide because when you get offended, you can get out of God's plan for your life. You can become so deceived that people can't reach you. I know there was this was one lady years ago in our church. She had the idea, completely fabricated, that, that Angela and I didn't approve of her marriage to her husband. And Angela and I, many times in our, in our private talking, we would, we would talk about this couple, and, we would, and we'd call them by name, and we'd say, boy, so-and-so guy marrying so-and-so gal, that's the best thing ever happened to him. I mean, she has been such a valuable uh, asset to his life. And, and, you know, we're so proud of them. That's the way we talked. She had gotten the idea that for some reason that I didn't approve of, her, of, of their marriage. 
And so every time I would walk by, she used to sit over here, every time I'd walk by, and you know, I did it tonight. I'm shaking hands with somebody, and I come into somebody, they're talking. Well, I don't interrupt them, you know, I'll go ahead and shake hands with somebody else. And so she had the idea that I was ignoring her, that I wouldn't shake her hand before church. I shake everybody's hands. But maybe I looked off and somebody got my attention. But what's happening? She's processing through that, that through the offense. Everything that I did, she says in her mind, and she told us about this later, uh, and I never could convince her it wasn't true. I never could. They left the church angry and hurt over some other things but that, that weren't valid, but that too. She, she was convinced that I didn't approve of her marriage and I was ignoring her. It wasn't true at all. It's the furthest thing from my mind. When you get offended, you open the door for deception and he will abs- the enemy will come in and absolutely make you crazy. And he said here, a person like that has been taken captive by the devil. Don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. Like I said, offense might come. You might feel that sting. You need to say, no, sir. I don't take headaches and I don't take offense. Now, I know this is probably, I don't even need to preach on this because I know nobody's ever offended. Because you never find anybody that says they're offended. Every now and then we'll tell somebody, your problem is you're offended. Oh, I'm not offended, Pastor. I'm not offended. Yeah, you really are. I'm just hurt. Yeah, a.k.a. offended. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Listen, stay in love with Jesus. Stay full of the word. Keep your affection set on things above, not on things on this earth. Amen. Stay in church. Stay unoffended and at peace with everybody. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.